welcome to everyone and especially our guests. We welcome you today. We are so glad to have you with us. If today is your first or your second time, I invite you to stop by our welcome area in the back before you leave. We got a small token of appreciation to give you for being here today. Those that may be watching us online, we welcome you today and pray that you're blessed by this service. It's good to have Sister Pat Grossbach in service with us today. Good to see her. Amen. This is probably going to seem like a really odd passage to read on Father's Day, but if you'll bear with me, I think it'll be okay. John chapter 13. I'm going to read starting with verse number 21. John 13 and verse number 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked on another, looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Nobody nobody knew what was being referenced. Nobody knew what was going on. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Father, your presence is in this place today. You have already ministered and worked. You've already touched hearts and lives in this place. And I thank you for that. But I also believe, Lord, that you desire to speak to some hearts today through your word. So God, I trust you now that your spirit would continue to minister in this place by your word. And I trust you, God, that you will speak. Lord, we're not here today just to hear a nice little sermon for a service, but we need to hear something from you today. And so I trust that you, God, will speak to the hearts and the lives in this place today. I trust you today, Father, and depend upon you for your anointing. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. I bless you. You may be seated. In fact, I think from the very moment Jesus 
invited Judas to come follow him, he knew what Judas would ultimately do. When he gave Judas the invitation to be one of the disciples, I believe that he was already fully aware of what Judas' ultimate actions were going to be. And he called him in spite of that. He invited him to be a follower even though that was going to be the outcome. But even beyond that, what I want you to see from these verses as a starting point today is the fact that even though Judas was going to do something extremely horrible and sell Jesus out, and even though Jesus was fully aware of what Judas was going to do, he did not expose him. He could have easily at some point, whether it was this moment or some time before, he could have looked at Judas with disdain and contempt and said, you are the traitor amongst us. I, I, I just cannot believe that you're doing what you're doing. Get out of my presence. I don't want to ever see you again. And yet he never did that. I think we can find an explanation for why he never did that in the book of, in the chapter that is often called the love chapter. Where the apostle Paul describes what love is and one of the things that love does, one of the defining characteristics of love is that love covers. Love covers. Love does not expose your faults. Love does not shout your faults from the housetop, but love covers. Love will hide a multitude of sins. Now understand that covering and hiding is not in the same context that our politicians hide and cover. It's a, it's a hiding and a covering because of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace that hopes. This is not the final outcome. This is not the way the story is going to end. So rather than shouting the faults from the housetop, we're going to try to keep it covered in hopes that the blood of Jesus will take care of it and nobody will ever have to know. I've never really looked at this until a couple of weeks ago. Never really thought about this until a few weeks ago. This idea that Jesus was so gracious. Anybody ever been betrayed? Anybody ever been betrayed by somebody? A bunch of hands. Anybody that you were that that when you when it came to light. You had been betrayed, and the person that betrayed you was you just were in absolute shock. And Jesus wasn't in shock. He knew what was coming. 
He knew what he was going to do. And I realized it all had to happen. I realized it was all a part of the plan and the purpose of God. I get all of that. But Judas was the human that was going to be a part of the uh, of being responsible for these events unfolding. And yet Jesus did not call him out. All he did was say, whatever you're going to do. And, and, and they didn't know. They didn't understand what he was talking about. I've come to I've come to preach to somebody this morning that you are you are in need of a I'm gonna this is not a scriptural term, but it's a term many will understand. You are you're in need of a reboot. You're in need of a reboot. A reboot is when the computer has too many tasks to run or a set of physical events occur in a sequence that the software writers weren't expecting, then tasks can get stuck in memory. Computer scientists talk about a deadly embrace that occurs when task A is waiting for task B to do something and task B is waiting for task A to do something, causing them both to get stuck. In addition, as tasks run, they fetch and use resources such as computer memory and over time the arrangement of the resources will become fragmented and harder to manage. A reboot may also be a temporary fix for problems caused by hardware that is becoming unreliable, particularly if things start to go wrong when components get hot. Modern operating systems optimize for spotting and removing stuck processes, but sometimes a computer can reach a state where the best thing to do is start again from scratch. A reboot removes every task and then starts with a clean slate. Who knew computer talk could be so powerful? There's too much going on and there's things going on that shouldn't be going on. And and so you need to have a, a fresh start. You need to start over and get everything cleared out and, and get everything that's interfering stopped. And, and, and you need to have a fresh start, a clean slate. It's not just our guests today that need a reboot every now and then. It's some of you other folks that like to pretend. <laughs> and I say pretend. We, we were, we were, we are, we've had a wonderful weekend. I've, I've enjoyed myself. My brother and his wife, my brother and Kate are, uh, out of town for a wedding. And so we have my two nieces and nephew of his. And, um, they are, uh, 12, 11, yeah, 8, 6. So we, we were swimming in the pool yesterday, and, and uh, Noah had thrown the football, and it was out on the side of the pool, and, and Timothy was trying to tell him, Noah, you threw it, and you go get it. And it didn't work. So Timothy 
threw something and it went out of the pool area and he told Noah to go get it and Noah refused. And so there had been this kind of back and forth and so another time went out again and he's trying to talk somebody else into getting it and Timothy called him a hypocrite. The next thing I hear, Uncle David! Yeah? Timothy called me a hypocrite! He had no clue what in the world a hypocrite was. All he knew, he had been called one, and it must not have been good. (laughs) So I say with all kindness and sincerity, there are some hypocrites this morning. Because you try to put on a really good front and face, but you need a reboot. You need a new beginning and a fresh start. You need to get some memory wiped clean. Because my, my main point of pointing out what I started with to you is, is, is really simply this. If Jesus would be so kind and gracious to the one who was going to betray him, if he would treat with such graciousness the one who was going to sell him out, how do you think he treats you and I who are sincerely hungering and desiring and trying not the process of selling him out, but the process of trying to allow his word and his spirit to work in our hearts and lives because we want to become what he wants us to become and we want his spirit to work in our lives. If he's willing to cover what Judas was doing, how much more does he do that for those that he loves and that love him? Oh, Jesus. There's really, there's really a primary thing today that I am hoping and praying some of you will get a reboot on. It's been a while now. I don't really know when it started, but there's a, there's just something that's kind of been going over and over in my mind and my spirit and, and I, I, I've been hoping and waiting for an opportunity to be able to preach it and, and, and a couple of weeks ago I felt like today was the day and so here I am. And the thing, the, I guess the primary thing, and again it's not a biblical word, but we understand it. The thing today that I believe the Lord would like to cause a reboot on some of us is our filters. We have filters through which we hear or read. I, I am, uh, if you're a guest today and if you don't really know me, based on this time here today, you will think otherwise, but I am a, I am, for those that know me, I am a very quiet person. I don't say a whole lot. I get it all out Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday nights. And I, I personally absolutely love Texts, texting and emails. I love it. 
I would way rather communicate by a text or an email than to have to talk. The problem is the reader determines the inflection, the tone of the message. You, and especially if it's somebody you know that's communicating to you, you, you know their voice. And so as you read, you hear their voice as you read. And human nature is, we default to the negative. I've told this several times before. I can't think of a better example, so I'll use it again today. Several years ago, I don't know, three or four years ago, maybe a little bit longer, I'm sitting here working at my in my office. I get a text from my wife. Would you mind stopping by the grocery store and picking something up on your way home? I gave one simple, sincere reply, and I said, sure. And I've never had a text come back so fast in all my years of texting. And the reply was, fine, I'll just do it myself. I'm like, what in the world? What just happened here? I was saying, sure, no problem. I go right by the grocery store to get home. I'm happy to stop. She read, sure. You know, emojis emojis are a mixed blessing. The curse of emojis is you now feel like you can't text without one. The blessing is you can add something in there to help communicate. These are the words, and this is the feeling. <laughs> Better yet, sure, with a little ha- with the little heart eyes. <laughs> it's bad enough when there's that communication between people with a fairly decent relationship. But when you're in some kind of conflict, you automatically... I I had it happen yesterday. I had a text come in. I read the text, and I'm telling you what, it hit me the wrong way. I went and showed my wife, and she's like, I think they're just saying this. That's not what they're saying. Why did I even show you? Here, take my filter. (laughs) The problem is the challenges and negative experiences of life and the difficulties we go through give us more and more filters. And I realized something a little while back, and I'm sure I'm the only one here, so you just listen for the rest of this message while I preach to myself. I realized how many times what I read in the Word of God 
my filter hears in a negative way. In fact, I'm going to show you here two of the primary examples that I feel like our filters have so caused us to to hear something one way and, and get locked in that that's the way it is. But the problem is we then put that on ourselves as well. Let me give you the first example. John chapter 20, verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. What is wrong with that guy? Anybody know? What's Thomas's known nickname? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. But look, look at this. I'm going to keep reading in John 20, but, but let me show you something. Backing up a few chapters in John chapter 11, then said Jesus unto them plainly, speaking of his disciples, Lazarus is dead. He had said he was asleep and they didn't understand. And so now he just makes it plain. Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Verse 16, listen to what Thomas says. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go. Why? That we may die with him. What kind of horrible guy is that? Oh, doubting Thomas. And, and he gets labeled and preached about as doubting Thomas because he said, unless I see for myself, I'm not going to believe. And yet, he's the one that said, I'll go with him and die. Let's go. He was ready to follow Jesus with, he thought what Jesus was saying was, we're going to go die. (laughs) And he said, let's go. You know why I think, and this is just my my opinion, but I, I think the reason Thomas said, unless I see his hands and unless I see the print of the nails and, 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 the, and the scar in his side, I will not believe. I think what Thomas was saying was, I've already given myself fully to this and, and I just don't know that I can get all excited and up for something and get let down again. And so verse 26, after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now I'm gonna skip, I'm gonna skip down to the verse, and I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna do this out of order. I'm gonna skip down to the verse that's always the known thing that Jesus said to Thomas. 
Jesus saith unto Thomas, Because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Somebody tell me, why is it that our automatic reading of those words is we see Jesus wagging his head and shaking his finger? Blessed are those, Thomas, unlike you. You had to see something to believe it, but blessed... That's not, I don't, that's not what he was saying. The reason, I think one reason I can say that's not what he was saying, because if you go back to verse 27, he says to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. Jesus, if I read this correctly, Jesus did not sit there and wait for Thomas to say something. Jesus appears in the room and he goes over to Thomas. And I don't think he went to Thomas and said, look, check it out. I know this may seem a little shallow for a few of you this morning, but somebody needs to hear the word of the Lord today. I think he went to, I think he went to Thomas and with compassion and love said, there you go, Thomas. Here, sorry, here it is. And so when he says, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe, he he was just, just kind of making a little side point. Not everybody's going to get this. Not everybody's going to get this experience. Not everybody's going to be able to see for themselves. And so, you know what, hey. But it wasn't a slam or a slur. But our filters say. Our filters hear. We interpret it to be some kind of negative tone, and negative connotation. You tell me. If he sat there at that table with the disciples and Judas and said, somebody here is going to betray me and you just need to go ahead and get it done. And then he just says, whatever it is you're going to do, go ahead and do it. If he would have treat, if he treated Judas with that kind of love and respect, how much more? How much more would he have treated somebody who wanted to believe? He wanted to believe. He didn't make a statement to say, you know what, I'm done, finished, I'm not having anything else to do with this. Thomas wanted to believe. He just said, I need a little something to help my faith. I I need a little something to encourage me. I, I need a little something to give me a reason to believe. And the Heavenly Father... Man, 
manifested in the flesh. Says Thomas, I, I, I know it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I'm just going to fill in a little bit. Forgive me for a little poetic license this morning. But the father was saying, Thomas, I understand where you are and I'm not bothered by your struggle and I'm not let down by your discouragement. And so let me help you where you are because if you will see and believe, then I'm more than willing to give you what you need to be able to turn it all around. I preached this before in a different context perhaps, but here's the other one. Here's the other one, and I'm sure there's plenty of other examples throughout Scripture, but these are the two that always stand out to me. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now, now get the picture here. There's only one person that's ever walked on the water to this point. They see this spirit, so they thought, walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus responds and says, Come. I don't know about you, but I probably would have needed a little more than come. (laughs) I would have needed come, and then I would have needed the water to suddenly turn into a pathway of ice. But in the midst of all of that, one word, and Peter responds. And he gets out and he starts looking around at the waves and the wind and he gets to being afraid and he starts to sink. Now here it is. Listen, here some of you have heard this verse before, but listen. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, here, here, here you go, ready? Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? If you've already got this revelation, you should have been preaching this morning. But all my life, all my life, I've heard this verse preached. And boy, I tell you, Peter gets it. Huh. Oh, you got such little faith. Where did you? Wait a minute. The dude got out of the boat. In the middle of the storm. 
and starts walking on the water. And we're going to sit in our Monday morning armchairs as the Monday morning quarterbacks and critique the fact that he got a little bit afraid and started to sink. And then Jesus says to him, you got, you just don't have any faith. I'm sorry, keep your filter today if you want to. You go ahead and hang on to your filter today. But I got to tell you, I'm tired of mine. The Young's literal translation, Young, this one's not wordy or, or, or fluffy like some of the other translation. It just tries to get to the heart of the meaning of the verse. Listen, listen to what the way it says it. Immediately Jesus, having stretched forth the hand, laid hold of him and saith unto him, Little faith? For what didst thou waver? I think what Jesus was just saying to Peter was, Peter, what are you worried about? I got you. Peter, why why are you doubting? I got you, Peter. I think it was a rebuke with disdain. I think it's the same thing that would happen when, 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 it, you know, there have been, I can't think of a set example on the top of my head, but it's happened in one form or fashion. It, it, it's what happens when my kids have asked me for something in a way that they didn't expect to get it, and it was a need that I had full responsibility and desire to provide. It's kind of like, it kind of hits you in the gut a little bit. Really? You're asking me like you're not expecting me to do something that's sort of a given, at least from my perspective. I, I, I don't think Jesus was trying to ring Peter out. I mean, come on, of all the places. I mean, he's going to sit... In that very intimate moment, very sacred moment, with Judas and those disciples, and not rebuke and chide Judas, and he's going to stand on the water with Peter, when nobody else has gotten out of the boat, and just criticize him because he's got no faith? Really? Is that what he's all about? No, I think he was just trying to say, Peter, I, I, I just, I'm a little bit maybe disappointed that by now you don't know me enough to know that when you're sinking, if you're starting to go down, I got you, Peter. I got you, Peter. It's all going to be okay. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You don't have to worry about the fact that just because you took your eyes off of me for a moment and started looking at the wind and the waves that I'm going to walk away and betray you. I got you, Peter. I am Confident there are plenty other examples throughout scriptures today, scripture today that I could use to prove my point to people sitting in this place that you have read the word of God, perhaps you've heard the word of God preached, but it's come across in such a way that your filter says, 
It don't want nothing to do with me. He doesn't have any desire for me. There's no mercy. There's no grace for me. But today, by the help of the Lord, your memory (laughs) could be wiped clean. Your filter could be removed. And rather than hearing or reading with that kind of an interpretation that finds the negative in what he's saying, you could realize he is for me. He is not against me. He is not opposing me. He is not a, he is not my opponent that's trying to figure out a way to put me down, but quite the opposite. He is looking for any moment, any opportunity to be able to Reach out to me where I am and provide what I need. I'm closing. Kind of don't really know of a better example or story to use than that of the story of the prodigal son. takes his father's inheritance and goes out. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. First of all, they probably are smart enough to know there's nothing to ask for. <laughs> but I can't imagine one of my kids coming to me while I'm living and say, Hey, Dad, you know, I, I know when you die, I'm going to get something from you. I know you got something you're leaving for me when you go, but I tell you what, I'd like to just go ahead and get that now. I promise you, there would be no filters needed for the response. And yet the sun comes, and, and, and really what kind of sort of is, is I guess in some ways a little bit, the icing on the cake is he's the younger son. The eldest son has the first right to the father's inheritance. And, and so, but he's the younger and he comes and says, you know, listen, I, I wouldn't mind going ahead and getting what's mine now. And what's pretty amazing is his father gives it to him. I mean, he had every right to say, have you lost your mind? You better get out of here now or I do something I regret. And yet, what he does is he gives him his portion. And he goes out and he wastes it. Blows it. He takes what his father had accumulated in a lifetime and goes out and wastes it all in just a short period of time. The Bible says he was about to eat the pig's food. And he comes to himself. And he says, my servants have it better than what I have. My my dad's servants have it better than what I have. So he says, I'm going back home, and I'm going to ask my dad, just let me be a servant. 
I realize I blew my right to be your son. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Just let me be a servant. The Bible says he makes his way back home. And I I just can imagine him. I don't know how long the trip was to get home. I don't know how far he had to walk. But I just sort of imagine him playing over and 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 over in his mind this speech he had prepared. In fact, he probably was by himself and maybe he rehearsed it out loud. Father, I know what I've done. I know how bad I've been. I know how irresponsible I've been. So you just let me be a servant. The Bible says that when his father saw him afar off, that he comes running. Now, I got to tell you, what do you think he thought when he sees his dad running? If his speech that he's prepared is, I'm no longer worthy to be a son, let me be a servant... What do you think his filter said when he sees his dad running in his direction? I got a feeling his filter said, oh my goodness, this is worse than I thought. I was at least hoping to get to the house and give my speech. And he's not even going to let me get back in. And he had no idea that while he's rehearsing his speech because of his filter, the father has been sitting and waiting. One day, my boy's coming home. One day, he's coming back. One day, he's going to know where he belongs. And when the father sees him coming, he goes running after him. And he doesn't even give him a chance to give his speech. But he embraces him, wraps his arms around him. My son has come home. My son, who was lost, is now found. It's time for a celebration. Oh, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, would you reach down to some minds today and would you pull off some filters that have been put on some minds that cause us to jump to the wrong conclusions? Would you help us to be able to hear and read? And when we hear... And when we read, our interpretation is not the words and the tone of a harsh, critical judge. Somebody else ought to have moved by now. And I'm talking saint, not guest. Hello? Rather than us perceive, the words are going to be an unjust harsh God 
we would be able to hear the words of a loving, caring father. If that's what he would do for Judas, who was about to betray him, how much more for you? How much more for you is he willing to respond with love and compassion and grace and mercy? Father, right now, by the power of your Spirit today, would you reach down to the minds and the hearts of the people in this place today? God, the filters that have been put on our thinking that cause us to jump to the conclusions of harshness or judgment or criticism from you rather than that being the filter by which we interpret what we hear. We can hear the words of a loving, compassionate, gracious Father. We started the day with it. It was the first song today. And how fitting of a song. You're a good, good Father. I realize there's some of you sitting here today and the words you've heard from a natural Father is what's given you your filter for your Heavenly Father. I realize some of you today It's the words of your earthly father that have so influenced the filter by which you hear your heavenly father. But today, 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 your heavenly father, he wants you to hear accurately. He wants you to hear correctly what he's trying to say and how he's saying it. In the name of Jesus. Church, I need you to be sensitive. I need you to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit right now. Some have come, but others, they may not have come. But the Holy Ghost is touching their hearts and minds today. Oh, you're a good, good Father. Good, good Father. I know it might be a little sensitive and it might be a bit of a tender area for some of you, but I believe the Heavenly Father is here today and would like to bring some healing to some hearts and lives. Because all you know is an earthly Father. All you know is an earthly father who's critical and harsh. All you've known is an earthly father who gives words of disdain and words that put you down. But there is a heavenly father. Oh, there's a heavenly father today. There's a heavenly father today whose love, whose words are motivated with love and compassion. There's a heavenly Father whose desire is not to expose you, 
His desire is not to uncover your faults for the world to see, but His desire is to provide grace and mercy and forgiveness. Perfect. Oh, that's who you are. That's who you are. Take off our filters today, God. Let there be a reboot in our minds today. Let there be a wiping clean of our minds today that we might be able to hear accurately what it is you are saying, God. Oh, yes. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You're not a critical father. You're not a judgmental father. You're not a harsh father. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. Oh, yes. I don't have to approach you in a defensive posture. I don't have to come to you in a protective posture because I'm afraid of what you're going to do or what you're going to say, but I can come totally vulnerable because you're going to receive me with open arms because you're a good, good father. Oh, you're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus the name of Jesus 
Oh, you're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You're such a good father. Help us today. Help us today to hear correctly. Help us today to hear correctly, Lord. Oh, yes. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. the name of Jesus. If you need to go, you're welcome to. The Spirit of the Lord is still touching some hearts and lives today. The Spirit of the Lord is still ministering. Please be mindful of those around you. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, you're a good, good father. You're such a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. It's who I am, it's who 
I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good Father. Are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. 